It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, September 29th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a special Senate study group formed after the Dobbs decision holds its first hearings. Then we talk with a clinical psychologist about the increasing rates of maternal suicide, especially for black mothers and pregnant people living in poverty. Plus, Insight School Prep data with a nationally recognized education group. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A group of Mississippi senators are taking the first step in fulfilling a promise. Elevate policies that do more for the state's mothers and children. When the Supreme Court released the Dobbs opinion overturning Roe v. Wade this summer, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman assembled a special study group that would, in his words, represent the pro-life values of the state. That group met for the first time this week, hearing from state agency heads and leaders in health care. Dr. Luann Woodward, vice chancellor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, appeared on Tuesday, and she spoke with our Kobe Vance about the desire to extend postpartum Medicaid coverage. We were asked to come down and be a part of the hearing on maternal and infant health. And for us at the medical center, being the only academic medical center and the only children's hospital, the only level four neonatal ICU, Maternal and fetal health is very, very important to us. I mean, this is a critical issue for the health of Mississippians. We see the sickest patients and the sickest babies in the state. Um, And really what we wanted to do is have the opportunity to share some of our own statistics and then some statewide statistics as well. This is another one of those instances where Mississippi is in the wrong place on the list. You know, we're first in infant mortality and fetal mortality and preterm deliveries and, and lots of things like that. And, and it was an opportunity to talk to the committee about some of those realities that we face and potentially ways that, as a state, we could improve. And I think that, you know, I tried to make the point and hopefully successfully made the point that if we're going to improve the health of Mississippians, We've got to start with the kids because when these kids are born too early and too small and they're not healthy and they're neat, they're in the NICU for weeks and weeks and weeks, they're already behind the eight ball. You know, they're already um, struggling to begin with. As a healthcare leader in Mississippi, I wanted to get your thoughts on seeing lawmakers 
take more interest in, you know, pre-birth, birth, and then, you know, post-delivery. What could that mean? What could those investments mean for Mississippians? So Medicaid expansion is one of those topics in Mississippi that has been, um, there are a lot of strong opinions about all over the place. You know, some people are very much for it and some are not. And, and there are um, arguments to be made on either side. So I, I don't want to see this get tied up in that bigger picture that we have not as a state quite grappled with, you know, where we can land as a state. But for this slice, for this 12-month period, the postpartum period, um, I think that they're expanding Medicaid to cover the moms for this 12-month period postpartum is one of the tools that we have to really make a difference on these problems that we have been talking about. Um, some moms get very sick when they're pregnant. Um, some are very lucky and have a, have a non-complicated time. But generally speaking, there are a lot of health problems that, that can happen while you are expecting and carrying a child. And then postpartum, they don't all immediately go away. Um, working with a mom in that 12-month period, controlling blood pressure so that a patient doesn't have an, a second bout of eclampsia, being able to get healthy in between having babies, in between pregnancies, um, is all very important for the health of the mom and the health of the babies. Dr. Luann Woodward is vice chancellor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Mississippi's foster care system could see an influx soon. Experts estimate 5,000 additional births every year as a result of the state banning nearly all abortions. During yesterday's hearing, leaders of the state's primary social service program shared how their agencies were underfunded and ill-equipped to deal with an influx of children. Andrea Sanders is Commissioner of Child Protective Services. I think the legal process is a a really sort of fundamental part of us being able to move children more efficiently through the system and back out of it. Um, Having consistent representation in the courtroom from the start of the case to the finish, which I consider sort of front door to back door. So from the moment the child comes into contact with our system until they exit into a permanent situation, which is either adoption or their own family. Something Senator... Wiggins brought up earlier was that we might be seeing another 5,000 children coming into the system after this decision of Dobbs at the Supreme Court and Mississippi's trigger law going into effect, banning nearly all abortions. What could that look like in Mississippi and what could that mean for our foster care system? Um, You know, we're evaluating what that may look like. Um, We do find that statistically moms who um, might have given up a, a child at a at birth, um, only about 10% of those actually go on to put the child up for adoption. So what I think we'll see, rather than a, a you know a huge onslaught of 5,000 babies at once, is that um, I think we'll see those children absorbed into their families um, and that the family will continue to become more and more fragile if we don't look for ways to really support them and help them stay in the workforce, help them have child care, health care for their kids, and housing. These are things that that really destabilize families, and that's when, um, you know, child abuse to me is just a symptom of the family becoming less stable. 
it seems like your agency is going to be getting a lot of attention over the next year, especially here in the legislature in Mississippi. Can you help, again, just describe what your agency does for Mississippians who might not uh, who might not completely understand what might be going on? Because um, you all don't just go in to take children away from families. You all are much more involved in that. Yeah, um, and we're really working to define that role and, and clarify it as we move forward. Um, our, our mandate is that we protect children and family. We protect children from their own caregiver. If they're a um, parent, a custodian, or a, an identified caregiver harms them or neglects them to the point of harm, that's when we become involved. And it should be a limited circumstance because that's a pretty, it's a radical move to go into a house and take a kid out. Um, one of the trends nationally is to really try to get upstream of this problem and start to look at data and determine what kids are going into foster care and begin to target programs that would prevent um, that family from destabilizing before it happens. Um, and we know that the outcomes for kids are markedly better when we're able to do that. Um, I just told one of the senators it cost us $40,000 a year on average to keep a child in foster care. So investing on the front end and preventing that child from coming into care to start with um, is actually a really it's a smart return on investment. And not just investment, but also for the child. It would avoid that trauma that you were talking about earlier. There is, um, you know, honestly, in my whole entire career, no matter how bad the situation at home was, I have only met one child in my life that did not not just want to go back home, but really, really long to go back home. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a choice that, as the um, Senate committee said, it's got very high stakes, and um, and it keeps me up every night. Um, you know, you, you got to get it right, but you're not always going to get it right. Andrea Sanders is Commissioner of Child Protective Services. She also told lawmakers staffing shortages are being exacerbated by low wages. The Senate study group will hold two more hearings next month. Coming up, we talk with a clinical psychologist about the rise of maternal suicide, especially among black mothers and pregnant people who are living in poverty. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join MPB in the Moth for a free screening of the award-winning Walter Anderson, The Extraordinary Life and Art of the Islander, on October 7th in the Art Garden at the Mississippi Museum of Art. Come at 5.30 for food trucks, a cash bar, and a DJ set by DJ Java. The Moth's pop-up porch will be there, too. Stay for the film at 7, a captivating story about one of Mississippi's greatest treasures. Details and register at mpbonline.org slash artfilm. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Maternal suicide is one of the top causes of maternal mortality. The data shows the rates of suicide are increasing, especially among black mothers and pregnant people living in poverty. The Gulf States Newsroom's Maya Miller talked with Dr. Emily Fortney. She's been a mental health clinician for nearly a decade and started working with new and expectant mothers after her own personal experience with pregnancy loss. It wasn't really until about two years ago after I went through um, a pretty traumatic miscarriage at 20 weeks and then went on to have my son 
where I really had a pull to incorporating perinatal mental health into my private practice. So that's kind of my why. Um, I was in Mississippi at the time and just really noticing throughout my treatment and kind of my care, the lack of kind of knowledge about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and how to treat them, how to screen for them. And so that led me to getting certified in perinatal mental health. Most of my clinical work has been with, I would say, more serious and complex mental health needs like suicidality, psychosis, you know, mania, things of that nature. And so I'm now kind of bringing and blending that work with my role with new moms. What sorts of trends are you seeing in like your research and your practice, you know, with the types of parents that you're seeing or the backgrounds of families that you're working with? Within my own practice, what I've been seeing is an increase, you know, a lot of women um, coming to me that have um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that were not detected and not diagnosed during pregnancy or postpartum. Um, And I'm seeing more and more of kind of suicidal ideation um, that we're having to screen and assess for um, and manage. You mentioned risk factors for suicidality. Um, What are some of those risk factors? Some of those risk factors are um, obviously having a previous diagnosis of depression um, or anxiety, having a history of any other perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, any kind of history of abuse or like childhood abuse or even intimate partner violence is another risk factor. And then another big one is substance use. And then sleep deprivation. And so how do you feel stigma around needing mental health care affects new moms? Oh, I think stigma is huge. I think that is something we've been battling for a long time. Um, I will say that, you know, I think with where there is a plus with social media is that um, it's helping reduce a lot of the stigma. But I think also with social media, we are romanticizing pregnancy and motherhood in a lot of ways. And that is increasing the stigma and decreasing um, people accessing care because they feel ashamed or embarrassed. Yeah, I. it's interesting that you say like re- romanticizing uh, mm-hmm. uh, motherhood because you know, if you're feeling unsupported in in your home, then you're kind of afraid to reach out to other people because you want to make sure that you're giving this illusion that everything's gravy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, even more so just with motherhood and like post-birth, like there's this expectation that these are the happiest days of your life. And there's pressure, like enjoy every moment, you know, the days are long, but the years are short, when really the day-to-day reality is that women and childbearing persons are under a lot of pressure, and even more so pressure now because of social media, because we're living in a post-pandemic world and society. And the U.S. is still behind when it comes to 
maternal health and maternal mental health care. That sort of segues into my next question about um, Mm -hmm. a 2020 study of insured mothers found that mothers who are on Medicaid may be at a higher risk of Mm -hmm. suicide. And in Mississippi, Medicaid coverage runs out at like two months, um, even though they're still at a higher risk for suicide in that first year. Um, Nearby states have expanded you know, postpartum Medicaid for up to a year. Do you think that that's one solution here for maternal mental health? That is one of the many ways where we can start detecting things early on through screeners, um, having more face-to-face interactions like with moms and checking in on them. You know, I think it's a great first step in a very multi-layered situation that that we need more, um, we need better care. And we need better care that entire first year, at a minimum. So there are a lot of different factors that, you know, come into play. And, you know, it's a very nuanced sort of solution because, you know, something that works for one mom may not work for another mom based on Mm -hmm. their pre-existing sort of issue. Yes, exactly. And that's where screening and assessment is really important. And we still don't have a universal kind of system for that right now, like in our doctor's offices. And that's where integrated care becomes really important with mental health and like physicians, um, because every woman is coming in with a unique background and a unique story, and we need to take each one very seriously. That was Dr. Emily Fortney talking with Gulf States newsroom reporter Maya Miller. If you or someone you know is considering suicide, contact the Suicide and Crisis Line by dialing 988. Coming up, we go inside college prep data with a nationally recognized education group. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A nationally recognized nonprofit is awarding 46 Mississippi schools with the College Excellence Award. GreatSchools.org uses public data to identify schools it feels best prepares their students for college. 23 counties are represented on the list of winners with ranking county the most recognized. Carrie Gu is Executive Vice President of Strategy and External Affairs for Great Schools. MPB's Lacey Alexander asks her, what does the College Experience Award tell us about school? What you can tell about that school is, you know, it's based on data. So what we're learning from the state education agencies is where kids are being prepared and actually walk out the door of their high school ready to succeed in college. 
or it may be another path, but in, but in terms of the data that we can see, we can see that kids at particular high schools that win the College Success Award are doing an exceptional job uh, at, per, uh, or, sorry, schools are doing an exceptional job at preparing kids to succeed uh, if they do choose to go to college. Gotcha. And I understand that the data collection process includes a lot of different things and there's a lot of nuance to it. Is Can you just kind of explain for those of us who maybe don't understand the nuances of academia how this data is collected? Is it over a span of several years? Is all of this data collected from one year prior? Yeah. So we collect data annually from uh, the State Departments of Education. And what we're doing is we're connecting the data that we get about high schools with the data that we can see about post-secondary schools. So um, we can see, you know, how schools are preparing kids, if they're graduating from high school, and then are they enrolling in a two- or four-year college or institution of higher learning, um, and how are they prepared for college-level coursework once they get there, and are they sticking with college? Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of different qualifications to be up for the award. What are some of the most common reasons for schools being disqualified from winning the award? Do you see a common reason that um, schools have to pull back and maybe try better next year? Do you see that some schools maybe just don't have the um, ability to give you or collect that data? Sometimes we we do have incomplete data. And so it, it really depends on what we get from the state. So it's the school reporting to the state and then the state being able to provide it in in a format that's available to us. We'll say that Mississippi does a great job at data transparency and being able to provide data that's very valuable for parents um, and for whole communities to really understand what's going on. So we applaud Mississippi for for making that data transparency really um, a priority and so that we can award these 46 college success award-winning high schools. Great. That's an awesome segue into my next question. Um, Is there anything else unique or impressive or maybe not impressive about the awards given out in the state of Mississippi specifically this year? Well, I would say that, you know, having come through these kind of rough, bumpy last few school years, just the the fact that these high schools are doing a great job at at keeping up graduation rates and college enrollment rates, um, and that they're showing re- resiliency, and that the students are as well. I mean, this is that's that's what's so impressive about being able to like look at the data and find this success even after these rough times. Now, in a perfect world, what would you see next year from this data? Like, what do you personally hope for in the 2023 award results? You know, honestly, what we would love is, first of all, to be able to continue to be able to see that post-secondary success at the high school level. That's really, really key. And I know, you know, sometimes budgets are cut or priorities um, are shifted, but that data transparency is super key to be able to show what is possible, what opportunities um, schools offer um, students and families. And, and without that, you know, families are left in the dark. So it's really important to keep that data transparency a top priority. We'd also love to see more information about other uh, post-secondary success, whether it be um, 
you know, career pathways. Um, and it, these are, this is not easy information to get, but it's really critical uh, for families to know how schools are preparing their uh, students for college and for career success. Understood. Thank you. Is there maybe anything else you'd like to chat about that I forgot to ask you about? I would just encourage your listeners to go to greatschools.org. You can check out the 46 uh, winning high schools in Mississippi, and uh, and you can see on this, those school profiles the kind of programs and opportunities uh, that these schools offer uh, that make them so successful. Recently, we added information about uh, higher-level courses, AP courses, for example, on our courses and programs uh, section of the school profile. And that's really important information to know to understand what kinds of opportunities high schools are offering uh, kids to set them up for success in the future. Carrie Gu is Executive Vice President of Strategy and External Affairs for Great Schools. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.